This podcast is proudly brought to you by Suzuki Queensland, East Leaks Club, Melbourne Storm, and Triple Play Sportswear. This is The Back Row with Warren and David. Hello, well we've come to the end of the 2018 Rugby League season and uh, in a moment we'll take a look at the Premiership winners and their achievements. Uh, congratulations to Premiership winners young and old, far and wide, city and country. But if we concentrate first of all on the Interest Super Cup in Queensland, well we know Redcliffe defeated East 36-22. to Then in the Interest Super State Championship, the national final, Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs, the New South Wales champions, defeated Redcliffe 42-18. And, of course, in the NRL, the Sydney Roosters beat the Melbourne Storm 21-16. to We're going to start with uh, a look at uh, the action from Suncorp Stadium in the Interest Super Cup, where the Redcliffe Dolphins were too good for the East Tigers. And, uh, David, if we first talk about uh, the victors, Redcliffe, well, they have now won six premierships in 23 years. They've been in 12 grand finals. It was a big day for the Dolphins because it was actually their first premiership win in 12 years. But nevertheless, um, you've got to say they are the dominant team in the competition. No, undoubtedly, Warren. Uh, they've been uh, one of those uh, top sides for a long time. They deserved their win. They looked uh, very impressive uh, in doing it. It was only six tries to four in the end, and there was a very late try by Redley. So East, uh, even though the final scoreboard of 36 points to uh, 22, uh, doesn't uh, yeah, suggest it was a, a fairly convincing win, and it was for the uh, Dolphins. The Tigers were uh, well and truly uh, in this match, uh, uh, let's say, for periods of time. They did let it uh, slip away on the odd occasion. But, gee whiz, Brian, uh, I reckon if, there are, uh, if you have to reinforce some of the key, uh, you know, learnings out of uh, big matches, uh, this game absolutely epitomises a number of them. And one is you've got to defend your errors. In big games, we're all going to have a certain amount of errors. And I know, mate, you called the game on 4BC. I was there to watch it live. And I must admit, when I was watching it live, I'm thinking, well, East have made uh, a number of key errors here. I thought statistically more than record. But as it turns out, the stats weren't greatly different at all. The, the no, not at all. The same. The penalties were about the same. But when I back-analysed the game, almost on every – like, they scored six tries, Rickford, almost without exception. Or, or you could say on all six and at the very least on five of those tries came directly from errors or, or silly penalties or, or, or the like. So if you're going to win these big games, you're going to accept you're going to make a few mistakes along the way, and Redcliffe and East made about the same. Uh, but at the end of the day, East did not defend their errors. Uh, one of the things they did also poorly um, was on a number of occasions, uh, kicks downfield were either good to okay, but there were very poor kick chases, and again, if there's lessons learned again or, or relearned, is it's all those little things that add up to, to, to be able to take your chances. Uh, and I think that, to me, was the takeaway from this game, that uh, East didn't play as good as they could have, mainly because Redcliffe didn't let them. There was some very physical uh, 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 contests um, throughout the game. So both sides were in there physically. But to me, the Tigers, um, one, didn't defend their errors. There was a few simple things like poor kick chases. that then just rolls into, uh, and there were at least three poor, what I would class as three poor kick chases allowed Redford to come back on the attack. Um, and then, to a lesser extent, there were a couple of um, half chances that the Tigers had that they didn't take, and that's the other. Well, you know, if you, if you talk to anybody about rugby league, and you could probably uh, expand this into almost any sporting contest, you got to, if you make some errors, you better make sure you defend them. You've got to do all the little things right, and you've got to take your chances. And when I look back, the Tigers didn't necessarily do that. Um, Chevy 
uh, dropped the ball. It wasn't a great pass, but um, they were on the attack after about five minutes, uh, Marion Sebi. Uh, and then yeah. <laughs> uh, on the 20th minute, uh, Scotty Drinkwater uh, looked like he was going to score on his own and, and uh, could have been close. I think he would have got over and uh, he decided to flip the ball back. So, so mate, that's my... You know, there's a whole lot of information yeah. in all that, but that's my high-level summation of uh, how this game uh, went. Well, serving winners. Yeah, David, I, I agree with uh, a lot of those things you're saying about East. Uh, however, I, I, I clearly think the better team won on the day. I think Redcliffe were the better team. I think they, I think they had a bit of luck, but I think they made their own luck because they came out in that game with energy and intensity, and they held that for 80 minutes. I don't think. East came into the game with the same energy and intensity. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, of course, East also had a, suffered a body blow when Billy Walters was yeah. uh, out of the game after 30 minutes. And Tommy Butterfield at the same time left the field with a head, head wound that needed stitches. And East really were playing catch up in the second half. They had, as you say, a number of chances to make a grandstand finish that couldn't quite get the ball over the line. But, uh, I really thought what was particularly disappointing was straight after half time when Nice conceded two quick tries in six minutes, and that was where the game was was won and lost. You mentioned yeah. some of those mistakes the Tigers made. Well, back uh, the first try that Redcliffe got came after uh, they got six more tackles. Uh, I think there's also a torpy kick was charged down just before that as well. Yeah. Butterfield made a break upfield and dropped the ball. Uh, you know, and then uh, it was good play by Redcliffe to score the try. Not long after that, East were forced to drop out. But I think they had, I think Redcliffe had a superior kicking game. East were forced to drop out. They they scored a try to make it 12-6. So damage was done in the first half. But those two tries immediately after half time, when um, Fuller spun away from the Drinkwater tackle uh, for the first try, and then the, the, I thought in a way the game was summed up by the second try just after half time when Redcliffe put a kick in. Which uh, it looked like it was going over the dead ball, and you could barely even blame uh, Link Port and Marion Sevy for giving up on it. But the fact was, it bounced up high. It was over the dead ball line. But Whitchurch, Aaron Whitchurch from Redford, didn't give up. He kept coming, knocks it back inside, and stay and uh, back into field into the field of plans. Stag scores. It's twenty six to ten, and it's pretty much game over at that point. Yeah, well, you're spot on all counts, Warren. In particular, I agree. Those two tries by Redcliffe early in the second half, one one in the 42nd minute, so two minutes into the second half, and then the other one within another five minutes of that, uh, really, that, that kicked Redcliffe out to 26-10, and in a grand final, uh, it would be uh, somewhat of a miracle to come back and win it from there, albeit we'll talk shortly about how close East got before uh, Redcliffe slipped away again. Uh, but there, there were those uh, couple of uh, tries there. The, the one, as you say, that knockback try, um, you could hardly blame uh, the East uh, defenders there in, the, in letting that ball go. It did look like, you know, it was one of those classic ones, ran through the Indelli, bounced up in the air just short of the dead ball line, and then in the acrobatics of what they can do these days, jumping from the field of play, one of the, uh, uh, the, the Redcliffe guys, Whitchurch, taps it back to Stag. My only criticism of, of that play was that at that moment, and it's all happening in a split second, the tap back was on. And and East did have two players there, sort of, let's say, uh, covering it, mm. but, but not blocking the tap back. You've got to be prepared for that in that circumstance. The guy was prepared, Richards was prepared to do the tap back. There was a chance for... East to put up, um, you know, I'm getting a little bit... Uh, David, I think I'm agreeing with you. I, I think there was desperation shown by Whitchurch and there wasn't the same desperation, you know, to, to, to yep. close off any opportunity of him getting getting to the ball. And I, I just think there was a little bit of that throughout the game. Uh, you, you're spot on, mate, because I, I put a couple of notes down uh, as I uh, watched that uh, game as well. And, and leading up to that, East, there was quite a bit of indecision uh, and, and a poor set leading up to it. Uh, and my notes, uh, yeah, East lacked organisation. So they, they were off the boil there in that uh, early minutes of the second half. Uh, and um, once you do that, and as you say, Redcliffe, all credit to them. And, and we did uh, speak in our uh, uh, preceding podcast to this particular game about the, the, the difference in the lead-ups. Uh, you know, I was... 
wondering with Redcliffe having played only one game in four weeks leading up to the uh, Interest uh, Super Grand Final, whether they would be uh, you know, fresh or, or, or flat. I, I couldn't quite decide. And then I'm thinking, well, East have come in, you know, terrific run through the semis, uh, three knockout semifinals, bang, 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 to get there. Um, my answer, or my question was certainly answered that Redcliffe did look to me the fresher. So I think this idea of minimal number of games leading into finals is somewhat offset these days by the fact that they've got these high performance, you know, Redcliffe are, you know, the, the, the you know, they're the club that everyone looks to in terms of, and East as well, all, all their procedures, processes, they're as close to NRL uh, status as you could, uh, you know, move toward. And, and they, were, they were prepared. They were ready to play and, and certainly looked uh, uh, the better side. Um, uh, yeah, they, they were fresh and they were dynamic and they, they really yeah. jumped out of the gates. And, and you're right, David, that the two weeks off during the finals, that uh, that only freshened them up. It didn't harm them at all. No, and, and then they went on with the job. They looked in control. Um, they did, and yeah, this is the other thing you, you're reinforcing. Redcliffe had two very close calls to, to get their tries. One was that one where it was um, knocked back to uh, to Stag and the knockback was you know, a blade of grass uh, from the dead ball line uh, to, to, tap, to tap it back. And then there was another one that uh, in the 62nd minute when there was a, 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 you may remember, Warren Donovan did a little cross rubber kick uh, yes. back off his right <coughs> foot. And, and I think Nathan Watts, the front rower, to his credit, he uh, got there uh, and put a hand on a bouncing ball. Uh, it was so close, you know. So there were, You've got to take your chances. Reckler did. East didn't. Um, you know, there was a few fundamentals here that um, if you had to um, write your next script for your next uh, grand final uh, uh, speech, if you know, and as a coach, uh, you'd say, mate, these are the things we've got to do uh, to, to give ourselves a really good chance of winning. Reckler did them, and, and the Tigers didn't, but they were in with a bit of a, a, a sniff of the chance there um, uh, late in the game, and we'll get to that shortly. One of the other ones, mate, I found extremely interesting late in the game, and this was, uh, I guess, part of the um, the rub of the green or the luck of the draw. That obstruction call um, on the Tigers late in the game, uh, 75th minute, it was only 10 points in at the time, looked like Linkport was through. I, I am still baffled uh, by that call. I don't know whether you Remember it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. Link Port made the break off a brilliant sidestep off his left foot. And for some reason, the referee went some distance away to say there was obstruction. Well, uh, to me, the, the obstruction was minimal and so far away from the ball that it didn't count. It had nothing to do with Link Port making the break through the front yep. line of defence. And he yep. was on his way to a try. And as you say, that would have set up a grandstand finish for the Tigers. They every chance they would have been uh, back within four points. Yep. So so those little things, uh, and obviously, I look, I think overall the referees uh, had a good game and, and I do feel for them a bit. They haven't got the luxury of watching the replay uh, or, or watching the ele- from an elevated position like we have. There's often players in front and all. He's got to make a call on the run. But uh, to, my, to me there, uh, the referees got it wrong and it was a big, big ball. And then there was another interesting one. Uh, where I was actually sitting next to one of the referees' um, officials uh, when I watched the game in the uh, media area, and uh, the, there was an offside uh, play called against the uh, Tigers off a torpy kick that rebounded off um, a, one of his players, I think, who didn't play at the ball. I just can't remember. It was anyway, it was a rebound, not, not playing mm. it. And my understanding here is that had that occurred in the NRL, that would have been uh, a play-on situation, certainly not a penalty. But for some reason, uh, under the cure, I didn't think we would have different rule interpretations between uh, QRL and NRL, um, that uh, for some reason there was a penalty awarded there and it was, I think... Yeah, to Redcliffe, yeah. Yeah, to Redcliffe, you know. So again, yeah, all those things you can look back. Well, well, I, I, I have no, I, I know nothing about a different set of rules in the in the Intra Super Cup. Nothing at all about that. 
But And at the time, I thought the only reason that penalty was given was that Port might have been in front of the kicker and, and within 10 metres of the Redcliffe player who had ricocheted off, which would yeah. have been a very unlucky penalty. Even to be honest, I was scratching my head at the time. Uh, so I don't know how Redcliffe got that penalty. And that was, wasn't long before the, the Watts try that you referred to. So I mean, yeah. one thing leads to another. It does. Mate, you mentioned before too Billy Walters' injury. Uh, what a shame that was. He injured it in the well, about the 30th minute. Uh, when, when it, you know, he'd been out with that uh, ankle injury up until uh, a couple of weeks ago. He was out for about five weeks, and when he went down, I just thought, oh well, he, uh, how unlucky is that? He's done his, um, he's done the ankle again, but it was his other ankle, um, and uh, mate, that had a huge effect on the Tigers. Uh, I think Scott Sipple made the right swaps, but it, it was a very complicated swap situation. He bought the, the full-back Scotty Drinkwater into 5-8, which I think he probably needed to do because he didn't have to. Port went to, to, to full-back. Sevy went from um, centre to wing, and Tuolangi went into the uh, right centre position. So he yeah. Well, Sevy actually, Sevy actually switched from right centre to left wing. To, yeah, and scored a try as well uh, in uh, in the game. So. It, it caused a, a huge reshuffle, not that Scott Pinkwater hasn't played 5-8 uh, uh, before, but not a lot this year. And you mentioned also before, mate, he rushed up to make a tackle on uh, one of the Redcliffe uh, guys. On um, Fuller. Yeah, and he was obviously at that stage, he's defending in the line as a 5-8. And I think just was, they always say that, you know, the likes of Lockyer and, and, and maybe Ponga that moved from, uh, fullback to five uh, eight. It's it's the change in their defence uh, positioning a, a, and patterns that's mm. part of the biggest but, challenge. But getting getting back to the positional thing, I mean, I was a bit puzzled at the time that you make four changes because one player is off the field. Problem for uh, Scott Sibyl, the coaches. I don't know what alternatives he had. He could have mm. played around possibly with Oswald or Butterfield. One of those going to five eight, while the other went to Hooker, but. Really, even that wouldn't have been a, probably yeah. the, the, a great change to make. So I could see the problem he had. Yeah, it was the injury he didn't want to get because he he lost a guy that caused effectively four changes to fix the problem. And but no, he was playing really good, Walters as well. Like we know how well he played uh, in the preceding uh, uh, semi. He was looking sharp. He was dangerous. He's such a key player to the side. So. To lose uh, him was a major blow to the Tigers uh, at the 30-minute mark. And, and at that stage, they were you know, right in the mix. There was not much in that uh, game at all up until then. Mm. So uh, a big loss. Well, and, and one thing just puzzles me out of that is when I looked at the official stats, it says that Dave Tyrrell only played 21 minutes in the grand final, an yep. experienced prop forward. And... Uh, Without uh, putting the boot in too hard, uh, you've got to say Sam Cassiano coming off the bench uh, didn't have a great game, a number of errors from a very experienced player. But, but yeah. what, we, what we're left with in the wash-up, David, is uh, East have still never won an Intra-Super Cup uh, grand final, unfortunately. They've now lost five grand finals, and it's, it's a little bit like the Queensland cricket team searching for the Holy Grail back in the 80s and 90s. Eventually, Queensland won it, though, Warren. So there is a light at the end of the tunnel there uh, somewhere. It's always uh, next year. Yeah. <laughs> Look, um, they would be hurting uh, a lot, the Tigers. I mean, we we do uh, Tiger TV and, and uh, totally enjoyed doing that this year. But it's a very successful, proud club, great history. I mean, they haven't won a... A uh, grand final in the uh, in the Intra Super Cup or the Queensland Cup, which started back in 1996, but they had a lot of success uh, before then. I played in the 70s when uh, the Morris boys were there and Langy and uh, Brucey. Yeah, you know, they they won a lot of premierships or a number of premierships in that era and preceding that as well. But they are a very well run, very successful club. Uh, they would hunger for success. They've been in the the mix, haven't they, Warren? Um, uh, in terms of semi-final contention, uh, you know, a, a lot in the last sort of seven years. I look back. Uh, well, most clubs fifth. would be happy if you made the finals nearly every year. Yeah, they were fifth last year, third the year before, sixth, fifth, third, third. So they're right up there, but they just haven't been able to win it. I actually genuinely believe, even though credit to Redcliffe, uh, 
though deserving winners of 36-22. I think this is one East uh, could have won. I think it's uh, one they'll look back on to say, well, um, you know, it was only five tries to four uh, up until the dying minutes, so there wasn't much mm. in the game. Penalties, I think record got two penalty conversions in the first half. Well, that's, you know, the, 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 the four points to kick you away a little bit. So I, I think... Um, there was a few extenuating circumstances. Well, well, David, I don't think you can ignore, just as we said that Redcliffe got the advantage of the two weeks off during the finals, East had that magnificent run through the finals with three big wins, but it does take its toll on your energy reserves. And I think, I guess you could say that in the grand final, uh, yeah, that, that may have been a factor. They may not have quite had the energy to match Redcliffe on the day. Yeah, and to, to add to that point... Uh, as as you recall, East had such a slow start because halfway through the season they'd won three games, three out of nine or ten matches they, yeah. they won. So eleventh, eleventh at round fifteen, eleventh yeah. on the ladder at round. So 15. they've been under pressure for three months. Every game has been crucial, and uh, yeah, to their credit, and I think uh, there's a, a fair bit of satisfaction at East to say, well, we came from. You know, we, we came from the death there. We, we were gone, effectively, or, or, or all but gone. To come back the way they did and finish the season the way they had and to make the grand final, all that says uh, that was a, a terrific effort over at least a three-month period. But then to, to just falter at the final hurdle uh, is always heart-wrenching, especially if you haven't won one of these uh, Q Cups, as we've said. So, uh, mm. Yeah, and, and look, I think, and, and we should say that, look, uh, there were some very good performances for the Tigers in that grand final. Albert Bede was was really strong. Jake Foster, I thought, was really good. Link yeah. Port certainly had some great moments, as did uh, Scott Drinkwater. Marion Sevy uh, did a lot of work as well. You know, there, some, there were a few guys had um, brilliant moments and then some that they'd like to have over again, but uh, nevertheless, they were really good. But the guy I have to take my hat off to in that grand final was... The Redcliffe uh, second row, Toby uh, Rudolph, I thought he was extraordinarily good and really set the tone for his team. And not too far behind, in a different way, was the fullback Trey Fuller, uh, the 20-year-old. I mean, both of those guys were just outstanding in a grand final. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I think to add to that, uh, Warren, I think Cameron Cullen uh, is a very competitive uh, player. I thought the halfback uh, played extremely well. He's always at you, uh, Cameron Cullen. I mentioned uh, last time we were on, I like uh, Jake Turpin uh, as well. They're a good, strong, powerful side, and uh, they got on top. And, uh, yeah, and look, you know, I, I, I agree. Cameron Cullen had a very good game. Bryce Donovan played well. Katani Staggs played well. Shamil Hopawati, Nathan Watsow and Wichert, uh in the forwards. I thought they all contributed, but... Uh, there was it was a clear cut winner for me for the man of the match was Toby Rudolph who's uh, on his way to Cronulla. Uh, yes. came from South Sydney to Redcliffe and now he's on his way to Cronulla. Yeah, so no, you're right. He, as you say, man of the match. So uh, and that's why I think they did uh, largely out enthuse uh, the Tigers. Uh, a lot of the errors I spoke about earlier from the Tigers were forced on by some very intensive play by uh, Redcliffe. Uh, they are um, yeah they're. they're the fair winners, uh, they, they were the better side. Yeah. So if we just take a quick look at the um, the way 2018 wrapped up for, for everybody else, of course, as well, um, Redcliffe finished on top of the minor premiership uh, by a point with 35 points from Burley, who finished second on 34. Then we had Townsville and Northern Pride on 32 and 29 in third and fourth positions because they were knocked out in the first week of the finals. Issa finished fifth, and Ipswich came in sixth to make uh, the finals. Just missing out also on 28 points with uh, East and Ipswich was the PNG Hunters. So the last year's premiers fell just a fraction short on for and against of making uh, the finals this year. Then uh, four points back on 24 was in eighth place North, then South Slogan with the Sunshine Coast, Tweed, Wynnum, Central Queensland finished 13th and uh, the wooden spoon went to Mackay. When I look through that list, I mean, uh, you, you know, as much as Norths were in there swinging, as were the uh, as were South Slogan and the Sunshine Coast, till pretty late in the run of the finals, when they finally dropped out of contention. But uh, even you go you go down the list, 
in 13th place, uh, the Capras had seven wins, 16 losses for the season. Mackay are probably the only team who could really say that they, you know, they could barely remember the wins in the season. They only had four wins, a draw and 18 losses. But most teams won a, num- yeah, a number of games to keep them interested nearly all the way. Yeah, it's a terrific competition, the Queensland Cup, the Interest Super Cup. Uh, um, you know, there's, uh, what is there, uh, 40, 14 teams uh, with, a, with a genuine footprint across the state. Uh, it's the envy of any other uh, sport in Queensland to have a second-tier competition, uh, well, a, a second-tier against the uh, national comp, but uh, the, the footprint in Queensland is terrific. New South Wales will need to... Uh, Learn from that, and my understanding is the New South Wales Rugby League are having a close look at their New South Wales uh, Cup competition, the Interest uh, Super uh, uh, Premiership, uh, at looking at expanding that footprint. They haven't got uh, the same extended footprint as, as Queensland have. When you, when you look at it, Warren, you know, there's a team in Cairns, a team in Townsville, Mackay, Rockhampton, Ipswich, uh, Gold Coast. Um, you know, uh, Tweed Heads, Papua New Guinea. There's terrific regional-based uh, competition here, and uh, it's a it's a really a blueprint for others to have a look at it. And then you mentioned too, well, on the quality of the competition, like everyone lords the NRL for the fact that eight teams were within two points of each other, the top eight teams. Well, for the uh, Q Cup, I, I think about the top seven were within three points. So. We was nearly as close uh, as the NRL. So, um, look, I think the competition is is, is terrific. Uh, it, it, you know, I know this. Uh, we'll, we may talk a little bit later about some of the future and things that are happening in the Queensland Cup going forward. Uh, there's a lot of uh, great well, issues coming forward as well. Well, let's do that right now. Um, next year, uh, the Queensland Rugby League have announced that there's going to be a salary cap for the Interest Super Cup competition. It's going to be half a million dollars, 500000 uh, The purpose, as most salary caps uh, have, is to spread the talent around the teams and to make sure that clubs don't overspend. Uh, they spend money that they haven't really got and pump up the prices of players too much. Interestingly, for about... Uh, more than a year, Ipswich chairman Steve Johnson has been pushing for a salary cap, and he says it was to maintain equality in the competition and to counter the financial advantage held by clubs who have big leagues clubs behind them or NRL club affiliations who can offer more money to players. Um, just to put it in perspective, by the way, the, N- <clears throat> the NRL salary cap is $9.1 million for your top 30 players. Um, one of the difficulties, though, of a salary cap is that it has to be policed. <laughs> this can be a difficult and expensive operation that the QRL are deciding to undertake. Otherwise, there's no point in having it. Yeah, well, I think there's going to be a fair bit of uh, self, um, self-assessment going on, Warren. You, you couldn't get the same level of uh, scrutiny that the NRL demands. I think this is this is a, a move in the right direction. My, my understanding is that there used to be a, a, a salary cap, but, but more of a minimum amount clubs had to spend to be eligible to put a team in the Q Cup. So there was always, a, a in recent years, a minimum standard set, like I don't know what it might have been, 200,000. Well, that's a, that's a yeah. minimum quality control. Yeah. yeah. So there was that minimum there that you had to uh, be financial enough to run a quality team at a certain level. Now they've gone the other end. And what this is really about, I think there's a couple of things of, of interest here. This is about, uh, well, there's a couple of things first. Is one, all the players that come from the affiliated clubs, so you've got Melbourne Storm affiliated with the Tigers and uh, Broncos are linked with Redcliffe and uh, Wynnum and uh, North, uh, they come free. My understanding is that they are not part of the salary cap. This is about controlling the spend by the club so they don't get into difficulty. It's not trying to stop um, uh, putting a notional value on any uh, NRL players or or soon-to-be NRL players. So you've got to put it in the context. Most clubs favour this, is my understanding. Uh, The vast majority favour the idea of a salary cap. So all it's doing is stopping the super financial clubs spending excessive amounts on players, whereas those players might otherwise have to move to another club. So it's going to look to try and control the spend 
on other than NRL players. So I think the intent is good, uh, and I think, uh, well, it's going to happen. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, as you say, how it actually happens in practice and what uh, evidence, uh, true evidence, will, will be there to show that uh, teams are complying. There will be, my understanding is, there will be a QRL compliance officer, uh, but uh, he won't have resources or she uh, necessarily or to the extent that others have. So, look, I think it's... Well, well just, I just cutting. But, but then, David, there's no point in having it if you don't police it properly. Otherwise, it's meaningless if you don't police it, and it is ex- expensive and difficult to police. Yeah, I guess what they will do, Warren, is they'll have to register contracts. So let's say some guys are on, uh, uh, you know, the top players, I, I don't know what they're making, let's say $50,000, $60,000 or something. You, you won't be able to have, uh, you know, 10 contracts with, with players on 50 or 60 grand. That won't, it'll show up straight away. So there will be some superficial controls, Warren. I think it's just, mm. at least it's a step in the right direction over time. Uh, you know, there the may be a better. Uh, it won't go without checks and balances, but it, it won't necessarily be foolproof. But I think it's worth at least taking that first step. So, uh, that's well, I agree. Case. Look, I, I agree that the quality of the competition is, you know, is paramount. So that's that's great. I don't like to see any players being uh, cut short of their potential earnings because there's a cap. But uh, the quality of the competition is an important aspect. But I, I I don't know the answer to this question. Is there a cap in the New South Wales Cup or the Intra Super Premiership, as it's now known? In other words, will this stop? And there are a lot of New South Wales players coming up to play in the Queensland Cup competition, the Intra Super Cup competition, because they can see a pathway to the NRL. Uh, they must see at least competitive money. I mean, you just look at a guy like Jamil Hopawati. Uh, mm. there's, a, there's a number of guys who are playing with Redcliffe this season. Uh, who uh, came straight out of Manly Warringah or Newcastle, uh, just as an example. So, uh, you know, you don't want to see players staying in New South Wales if they're good enough to be improving the quality of the competition in Queensland. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. And, and ultimately, uh, you know, New South Wales, I think, will, whether they have already, but they'll need to look at this as well. There's no, there are no bottomless pits out there anymore. Uh, Things are pretty tight and, uh, you know, not enormous amounts of money get spent in what is effectively reserve-grade players to, you know, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, uh, Warren, that you have a look at uh, New South Wales uh, Cup, you know, Canterbury-Bankstown, we'll talk about it shortly. They won the uh, the state uh, championship. They beat Redcliffe uh, last week on Grand and Grand Fonda. They're the reserve-grade side to Canterbury. We don't have that uh, in Queensland. There are, uh, you know, we, we've got... The, uh, affiliations with with satellite clubs. So there's a whole different structure there in New South Wales. Now, I know they're, they played Newtown, who are now, uh, you know, they're not in the uh, uh, Sydney competition. Uh, you know, not, not, they used to be the New South Wales Rugby League Sydney comp. So, but it's a different structure. So I think there's going to, there's always going to be a bit of a difference there. I think over time, the NRL will need to look at uh, if there is going to be a salary cap for us. That, um, that doesn't mean New South Wales get uh, open a slather and, and spend with it. I think part of the question is answered too, Warren, by where there's 500,000. You mentioned that that is the salary cap for uh, the Carroll Clubs for next year. I don't know where that sits in the, in the current scheme of expenditure by clubs, you know, whether most clubs I don't think would necessarily spend that in Queensland now. The big ones obviously would. They've obviously tried to crimp them back, but I don't know what New South Wales would spend on there. So, but all that uh, needs to sort of uh, ultimately be put in perspective, mm. but you wouldn't like oh, well. to think over any long term it would mean that New South Wales uh, gained an advantage. We can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll see. We'll, obviously, everyone will be uh, watching this closely over the next year or two to see how how that uh, is implemented in, uh, in uh, Queensland, uh, a salary cap now. Just by the way, uh, already there's been changes for next year. The Townsville Blackhawks have announced their 2019 coach is going to be Aaron Payne, ex-Cowboys uh, okay. legend, really. Great, great player. He's replaced Christian Wolf after his four seasons as a coach of the Blackhawks, and Wolf has joined Newcastle as an assistant coach. So, and in fact, Aaron Payne was uh, a Cowboys NYC coach previously, so 
There's uh, and is that Uncle Gavin? Reason. Is that Uncle Gavin Payne? Is, is, is uh, Gavin, I think Gavin, there is a relationship there. Yeah, I think pretty, you're pretty right. Sure, there is. Yeah. 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 I'm also yeah. just back to the East Tigers, wondering um, what the list might look like next year. Of course, um, with the Melbourne Storm affiliation, uh, you know, always playing its part in uh, in how East put together a team for next year. But uh, you've got uh, just at the older end of their careers, you've got Shane Newman, 31 years old, Tommy Butterfield, who missed a lot, a lot of this season but played very strongly at the end, 30 years old, Jake Foster as captain of the team and Dave Tyrrell, who came back from South Sydney, both 29. I wonder if uh, they'll all be... Uh, Putting on the uh, putting on the uh, well the shoulder pads possibly <laughs> putting on the on the gear again next year or not we'll have to wait and yeah. see. Well, there's always I think a fair turnover in these uh, clubs from year to year, so uh, I'm sure East will be on the lookout. The, the affiliation with Melbourne has been terrific. I mean, as we say, Reckless a, a link to, to the Broncos. Uh, so I, I think this is a good uh, structure to have NRL clubs with. Uh, footprints in various areas to, uh, uh, you know, support the second tier, spread them around, I think it's the way it, to go. Oh, David, of course it is. And, you know, as I say, players are looking for pathways from, uh, yep. from you know, their current level to the NRL um, to take advantage of. But then it does raise the question, for example, if Brodie Croft had been playing for the East Tigers on grand final day, do you think the Tigers would have won? But he, Probably. He was instead, he was instead playing for the Melbourne Storm because he'd been called up for duty there and called yeah. back for duty there and held the position and played strongly, you know. So yeah. it, it, the it's just, roundabouts, yeah. Exactly, and it's, it's always been the case while these yeah. NRL affiliations exist. But uh, and, overall, I think the benefit is good. Yeah, and as we've discussed before, Warren, you've got to feel a bit sorry for the guys who then get displaced through this because there's a few guys who... Played with great distinction, I think, this year. Dalton didn't uh, uh, get any time in the finals or, or minimal, but Harley uh, Ayano, <laughs> Anton Iaria, Ash Little, Jared Shute all played well, uh, uh, missed out because of uh, uh, you know, various reasons. A uh, couple of guys injured, Jared McAnally and Brett Rinke, uh, shown to see them miss uh, the big games. And a, a guy that oh, I was interested in, well, I don't know whether you've got any uh, late, uh, but Matt Great, who was the a big signing for the Tigers at the start of the year was out injured for a long time, came back, looked impressive, starting to get a bit of field time, as I recall, got suspended for a few weeks and then played a bit of piecemeal uh, uh, role. I always thought he uh, had a lot to offer, Matt Great. Uh, I don't know what actually happened at the back end of the season. No, well, I can't shed any particular light. Just I think in the end um, when everyone – sort of was fit and available and yeah. uh, there had been a number of injuries through the season. I think Matt Groat just couldn't make the side because uh, basically it was the quality that, that the Tigers could put on could put out there. You know, a guy like Sam Cassiano, for example, coming coming uh, back from injury yes. and suddenly playing a part at the end of the season took up a, a spot that a front row like Matt Groat might have might have filled. But uh, uh, that was a late was a late inclusion into the inclusion, United. yeah, and a, an addition from yeah, yeah Brooke came over from the Warriors just before the uh, June 30 deadline, so uh, to the Melbourne Storm and then into the Tigers. Yes, that's right. Mate, you um, mentioned Cassiano. Sorry, mate, just to, uh, you know, with regard to the grand final, uh, he did, uh, and, you know, uh, anyone who saw the game would know that he made a number of errors. And uh, Well, mainly uh, poor selection of passes, you know. He was it, trying to get offloads away, particularly from the Tigers' end of the field. And, yeah. and there was a bit of there was a bit of catch up being played by the Tigers uh, late uh, in the game. Exactly, and when I look, it wasn't through lack of trying. You know, he was trying. No. It just, uh, as you say, selection or, or timing wasn't uh, wasn't on. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. So, uh, I, you know, if if we were sitting here saying Cassiano wasn't involved enough, then that is a certain criticism. But the fact that he Makes some errors now. He shouldn't have. He's, he's a top line player, and uh, you know uh, he, he should uh, uh, play at the at that top level. But he was having a go. Is, is my take on it? Uh, as as they all were, but um, it uh, it just didn't work on the day. Mm. Well, look, uh, you're listening to a, a Tiger TV podcast with Warren Bowler and David Wright, and uh, we've been uh, reviewing the season, particularly uh, from a Queensland point of view, the Intra Super Cup. Um, 
Your sponsors, of course, are Suzuki Queensland, East Leagues Club, Melbourne Storm and Triple Play Sportswear for this uh, Tiger TV podcast. We might just move on uh, somewhat more briefly, David, to take a look at uh, other things uh, that have wrapped up as we come to the end of the footy season. Of course, we had the Intra-Super State Championship final where Redcliffe, the Queensland champions, took on the Canterbury Bulldogs, the uh, Intra-Super Premiership uh, champions from New South Wales. And uh, in the end, the Canterbury Bulldogs are way too strong, 42-18. to 18, And uh, the Bulldogs scored seven tries and um, well, pretty much dismantled Redcliffe, you've got to say. A bit disappointing. Well, exactly. You know, here we are. We'll be talking in glowing terms about Redcliffe uh, in defeating uh, the Tigers in the uh, Intra-Super Cup, which was the Queensland final, to go to the national final to come up against uh, uh, Canterbury-Bankstown, who defeated uh, Newtown uh, in their uh, state final. Uh, yeah, Redcliffe, spot on, but they were disappointing. Uh, to, to get touched up uh, seven tries to uh, three uh, is perhaps... Uh, not the way you want to finish the season. And, and Warren, you spoke uh, before about, you know, timing of tries in the uh, uh, Intra-Super Cup Grand Final. Uh, I mean, the Dolphins were right in this uh, leading up to half-time. It was six all with six minutes to go up to half-time. Uh, so, uh, and the competition was on. There was some great footy being played. It was super physical, the power running, there were big hits. Everything you'd expect in the Grand Final, it was happening. and. For some reason, Redcliffe went to sleep in the last four minutes of the first half and Cleland scored two tries um, from long distance. You know, these were up the mm. middle breaks, 40-metre break on the first try and a 50-metre break up the middle on the second try. That's just not on. That, that is somebody either exhausted and whether the, you know, the previous lead-up of spare games or, or weekends off uh, somehow... Uh, didn't uh, gel with Redcliffe on this day. But when you get busted up the middle from a long way out and let in two tries in 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 about two minutes and the halftime score was 16-6, you, you've just either clocked off too early or, or something was amiss because that should not happen uh, in any game, let alone uh, a grand final uh, with two minutes up to halftime when you can get a spell after you've uh, done your job. And then they came out, you know, that was at the end of the lull for Redcliffe. Then um, Canterbury came out and scored two tries in the first 12 minutes um, to really uh, skip away uh, out to, uh, you know, ultimately 30 points to six off the back of another penalty. So, uh, you know, with 20 minutes to go, uh, Redcliffe are down 24 points. Uh, Not good. Not good by the Dolphins. I expected more from them. Uh, they did have their own uh, problems with a few injuries, as you mentioned. Yeah, well, uh, well, they lost Toby Rudolph early on, and yeah. as I said, he was the man of the match in the, uh, the Queensland Grand Final. And then Jake Turpin, they lost uh, their, their hooker early in the second half. And uh, also uh, Miles Toelli, who, who played pretty well early on, uh, he he was hobbling. He, he came off the field, went back on, but uh, had yeah. to leave again. He was, he was uh, really... Well below 100% fit from early in the game, so to lose those three players certainly didn't help. And and um, there was a pretty good performance by Katoni Staggs on the day as well to give him some credit. Along with, and I thought that late in the game, uh, James Taylor really uh, really he came did. on and injected some enthusiasm and scored a try in the end, didn't he? I think. But yeah, he, he did. did. Uh, but, He's not related um, to Dave Taylor, is he? He did have a little bit of Dave Taylor about him. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know that there's. Yeah, no, but it was probably not related. But he thought the try had a, a few uh, similarities to Big Dave stepping through. So well done by but, James Taylor to score that try. But I got to say, uh, the, the Bulldogs, uh, their big forwards, particularly uh, Renoff uh, Tuamunga, was oh, outstanding yeah. on that. He was, was enormous. It? And yeah, uh, yeah. in more ways than one. And Lachlan Burr, who's been around for a few years, played very well. And you mentioned Josh Cleland, who who had, a, had an excellent game as well for uh, the Bulldogs. But because he played for the Ipswich Jets in the, it was a 2015 Premiership winning uh, yes. year. So, so yeah. good performance from him. And even Fawamanu uh, uh, Brown, New Brown, as, uh, as he's known, um, he had a bit of a mixed game, but he was certainly dangerous plenty of the time for the Bulldogs. But, <laughs> and they had yeah. a couple of big-name players there too, mate, didn't they? John Ollers played a fair bit of uh, yes. first grade for Canterbury. Uh, 
Uh, Greg Eastwood, as we know, uh, international, uh, very experienced. He played with the Broncos at once. Reese Martin, who scored the first try, was a mm. you know. So they had some big name players in there. That's no true. Excuse, no excuse for Redcliffe. They, uh, they 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 didn't play well, uh, and I was quite amazed by. I read uh, with interest in the paper that uh, the coach had a mob. Uh, I don't know what you thought about this, Warren. I was a, a bit flabbergasted by the comment that he thought on the way to the ground, the team wasn't uh, up ready to play or worse to that effect. Um, that yeah, no, look, I think he said the, that he knew when they got off the bus that they uh, they weren't going to win. Uh, he just could smell smell it in the air from his mm. experience as a coach. He just didn't think they were up for the game. Mm. Well, it's an interesting comment. I know I've walked into, uh, you know, as a commentator over the last, and as a player obviously previously over the last many, many years, and you can get a feel in the dressing room before a, a game uh, who's up on I'll never forget 1980 when North here in Brisbane, who had uh, um, Mark Graham and Mark Murray and Kinescu and, and Gilmeister, a lot of those were very young kids at the time. Graham Lowe was the coach. And South were red-hot favourites that day. Uh, uh, Bobby McCarthy was the coach and they had the, the you know, the up-and-coming Domingas and Jacksons and Belchers and all. And the, the paint was coming off the walls in North Stressing and Lepertia. They were ready to play and went out and ripped in. So, you know, you would have experienced it too, mate, as a player. And, and uh, but, but for a coach to say that, I, I, you know, I presume he got the whip out before they uh, – I, I put him back on the bus and actually uh, – <laughs>
but yeah, it's the Broncos carrying the Broncos women carrying the flag for Queensland. I think. Yeah, yeah, and and went through undefeated as well uh, in their uh, competition. So terrific effort. I watched uh, some of that game, and look, I thought it was genuinely entertaining. Uh, they are skillful, and, and it's structured and organised. You know, if you if you sort of stood back and thought, well, what, what do you expect here uh, from uh, a women's game that's still in its um, uh, early years of, uh, you know, blossoming into a, a broader uh, competition? Uh, the skills were very, very good, and I thought it was well organised. So credit to the players and, and the coaches for the uh, standard of the game. And, but it's just the world's the, their oyster here, I think. This game... Um, I think it has the potential to be really uh, entertaining and good to watch. I, I just think there's um, they'll play it slightly differently than the men. But what I will, I'm sure of is, and I, I, you know, I've seen over, I've been commentating now for 40 years. I've seen the game develop as in the players over that time when. You know, Brisbane came in in um, 87. We weren't as big and as strong when the Broncos first came in. A lot of players out of the Brisbane comp and then the Sydney players looked bigger and stronger. Now they're all, you know, terrific athletes. I, I predict that the women, once it becomes more and more professional, will become the chiselled and, and, and ripped athletes as well. Uh, that will generate interest. It is good to watch for both, I reckon, for the guys and the gals. It's really entertaining to watch. And uh, I think there's uh, credit to the NRL and uh, the four clubs that uh, participated uh, um, they've started off extremely well in this regard. State of Origin, I think, was the first time we had a women's State of Origin this year. So, uh, look, uh, the potential is just enormous for the women's game and the growth. I think I heard 30% growth in, in women's numbers already. So, look, uh, just a well, terrific... Think, yeah, uh, I, I think, I think on, on this front, I mean, as a spectacle, I think the women... I think uh, <laughs> plenty of the women are already pretty well ripped. They're very fit, particularly, yep. uh, you know, but... But um, I think, and I think the potential as a spectator sport is, as you say, untapped. Uh, I think it's only going to get better. In fact, I just wanted to mention the Roosters. The Lavina uh, Lavina Amili was playing five eight for them. The Roosters on the weekend in the grand final. At the age of thirty four, I thought she was brilliant. But apparently, she is retiring. I suppose you can understand that. But but I think, to be honest, I think the NRL. Let's see how it evolves. I think they're. I think it's the, the potential is being talked up, over-talked mm-hmm. up in terms of how many women will want to play the game. Now, there's, there's going to be women playing the game and, the, and young girls up to the age of 12 are going to want to play in bigger and bigger numbers, huge numbers potentially. Mm-hmm. Though they're, they're already playing touch football in huge numbers. They may want to play tackle. Whether they want to continue to play tackle into their teens, you're going to have to steal a lot of girls away from netball and other sports to get them into rugby league. I don't know that the appetite will be there for being tackled in a, in a really strong, vigorous way. Mm. Uh, mm. And, and I mean, I heard the ARL chairman, Peter Beattie, interviewed the other week, and uh, they said, well, what's the future of the game in 10 years? And he said, well, touch football is going to go from strength to strength, and women's football is going to go from strength to strength. And I thought, well, uh, I, touch football is already <laughs> very, very mm. strong, and the NRL has been very smart to affiliate itself with touch football. Maybe, I, I'm not so sure of the same advantages there for touch football to have, uh, you know, joined in with the NRL, but it's a great a great uh, combination. Uh, I can, as I say, I can see women's football becoming much more uh, of a, a mainstream spectator sport, but I don't think the numbers are ever going to be there of women who want to play rugby league at the toughest, biggest adult level. I just don't think it's going to happen. That's my yeah. personal opinion. We'll, we'll see how it evolves. But I couldn't believe that, that the future of the game in 10 years, according to Peter Beattie, was in touch football and women's football. He didn't seem mm. to have any any plan for men's adult football. football. Yeah, yeah. well, there obviously there's a lot of thought, as I understand it, I don't think there is a committee or something being developed to have a look at the the broader future of the game and, and you know, collision sports and all this, how you might modify it for some who don't want to uh, experience the collision. I just look back myself, why not, uh, not a bad year, but I genuinely loved to play the game, you know what I mean? I genuinely loved playing. I, I look back and got a lot of enjoy. So it's not for everybody. 
Uh, you're right. Uh, there will be a, a lot of women who won't uh, uh, necessarily so want to. most basic, rugby league is a tough collision sport. Yeah, yeah, and that's not for everybody. But it's great to watch. I think as a spectacle, I think we've got the ultimate team sport. I think as a, as a contest and a, uh, to watch it, I think it's the, the best product. But, uh, yeah, it, it's not for everybody uh, and therefore the league have to, uh, and I know they are, position, uh, you know, what suits different people, you know, have your tag and your touch and whatever other uh, forms um but, but get people involved and interested and then more people watch it. Uh, so, look, it's only small steps, steps Warren. Uh, uh, they don't want to, you know, there's talk about, well, should, should they expand from 14 straight away? And there's a lot of uh, voices. Uh, Guy, the coach of the Broncos, came out and called Guy and said, look, hang on, just, you know, hasten slowly here. We don't want to um, downgrade the product. And so there's a lot of thought to go into it, but uh, I think a great... Uh, a great step forward uh, this year for uh, for women's rugby league. All right, and before we go, uh, we should just have a quick word about the NRL Grand Final. Which, uh, well, what a what a build up to it with uh, the controversy over Billy Slater uh, shoulder charge or shoulder nudge, as some would prefer to call it, <laughs> and then and then the. Uh, the injury to uh, Cooper Cronk's uh, scapula, which proved we thought it was a rotator cuff, it proved to be a uh, actual fracture through his scapula, his uh, shoulder blade, and it took the field, uh, much to every many people's surprise, and uh, played uh, an important role, if not uh, an, a highly active role, in what took place, as uh, the Roosters were too good for the Melbourne Storm, twenty-one to six. And yeah, uh, there's been a, a lot said already about it, um, but, um, w- you know, I mean, where do you start y- to encapsulate it all in, in a few few words? But uh, Luke Keary was uh, undoubtedly the, uh, the Churchill medalist's best player. He just uh, had an outstanding game, filling the role that Cooper Cronk normally would take on. Yeah, no, I, I agree, Warren. I mean, the, the Roosters were terrific and the Storm were... Uh, flat and disappointing. It was very unstorm-like, but you know you can't take anything away from the Roosters to win uh, 21 points to six. Uh, you mentioned Cooper uh, Cronk. You know I've seen headlines in the past about Super Cooper. Well, he was definitely Super Cooper. He was super uh, superhero. My grandkids uh, um, love to uh, talk all about these superheroes. Now, well, this was a real life superhero. Guy. This was amazing what he did. He did what was superhuman. So I just think, uh, it's already said, this will go down in folklore. Uh, oh, yeah. But, David, it was, a, it was a, a tactical, a tactical superhero performance. I mean, the stats for Cooper Cronk, 14 passes, zero runs, nine tackles, no missed tackles, and four kicks. Now, you'd, most players would normally do that in about 15 minutes on the field. Uh, well, yeah. probably, in fact, they do in five minutes on the field, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but it was all about the organisation of the team where Cronk was as much a decoy uh, yeah. for, for Keary. Well, and didn't uh, Coach Trent Robinson and the team do well? Uh, way I understand it is Cronk moved positions in defence, you know, a lot of times it's like, okay, we've got a weak link on three and from the right, so we're just going to hammer that every time. Well, he didn't stay there. He was three and from the right. He was out in the wing. He was on the left. So w- what Robinson did in terms of setting up a plan to, to protect Cooper, but also to, to use the asset that is his uh, organisation was a master stroke to, to hold it back to the end of the time, to not let you – know, all the talk was severe rotator cuff. Well, if you've done that, you pretty much can't play uh, and you could injure it uh, and be far worse off. The, the yeah, but people, have, people have spent five weeks out with a fractured scapula too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Um, but being the grand – they tell me it was – I think they said it was 150 millimetres long, this crack. Okay. Yeah, 15 so centimetres they're talking. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's six inches. Um, now, you know, needles can, can deaden the pain to a certain extent there. So what, what he's done there is terrific. I think the shoulder blade was probably an injury that – uh, he, he could uh, survive with more so than perhaps a rotator cuff, but I'm no doctor. But look, just uh, 
terrific, terrific effort there by Keeper Clark and the Roosters, the coaching to, to, to make it happen. The Storm were flat, but they were probably made to be flat. Uh, the Roosters' first half, 18 nil at half time, they led. Not, not coincidentally, they scored all three tries, the Roosters, in the first half on the edges. Uh, you know, wingers uh, and uh, I think one of the uh, centres uh, uh, snuck in a try when Munster was in the bin as well. There is a theory around Melbourne that you're better off trying to get out and around them rather than through them. So if that was the tactic, it certainly uh, worked. Um, I'm still a bit baffled by uh, this so-called uh, rushing defence. Um, they seem to be up in the face of Melbourne, but... Uh, uh, I won't go too far into that. I mean, well, no, well, no I, I agree. Uh, well, David, I, I think you're moving on to where the game was really won and lost, which was the defence of the Roosters. Uh, their their line speed was so fast, and they were tough and punishing, and they got numbers in tackles, and their kick chase was really good. All of those defensive aspects, but their line speed was so good. But they did it two weeks in a row. Uh, you yeah. know, they did it against South Sydney as well. They were almost impregnable, and and I thought the Storm tried to throw plenty at them but kind of ran out of ideas. They tried to get Billy Slater back on the inside. They just couldn't break through the mm. Roosters' defence. Now, on television, you don't see the wide, wide no. view, so whether or not the Roosters were getting off the line too early, um, you know, you've got to say the referee surely would have cracked down on it if they were, but I think that's where, it was, where the game was really won and lost. And it's very interesting to hear Trent Robinson talking about the Roosters' defence tries to anticipate instead of react. Now, I don't know what that means in practice, but if he's got his players uh, trying to move into a position to predict where the attack is coming from and where the ball is coming from rather than waiting for it to happen and then move, if he has somehow come up with the secret of doing that, well, he's way ahead of everybody else. Yeah, I think conceptually it's a, a great idea. The difficulty normally with Melbourne is, and one of the features I think of Melbourne's play is they... They've normally got options on every play structure. Uh, very hard to, uh, let's say, anticipate. That's in my experience with Melbourne. They are they are the uh, the the, uh, the punch and 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 counter punch sort of uh, uh, team, uh, and therefore very hard to anticipate. But if if um, if Robinson has been able to do that, and and you know Melbourne were playing a little bit of catch up, so all of a sudden things get tighter and they made some errors. So, um, but, mate, we all know uh, the referees had decided to put their um, whistles in their pockets uh, for the finals, mm. the low penalty count. So I think they pushed the boundaries, but that's what um, that's what you should and, and, and should always do. But the second oldest trick in the book in defence is get back 10 and leave early. That's, that's the easiest way to trick the referee into uh, thinking you're on side. And um, I'm, I'm not saying I've viewed this game um, to be able to say one way or the other there, but mm. that's that's a good way well, to give the pretext of being on side. Oh, I agree, absolutely. You've got to get back the 10 in the first place. The referee will always ping you if you don't get back the 10 at some point. But even Cooper Cronk was often the player coming up the quickest and then backing off. He was, yeah. go- he was getting up to make sure he didn't have to make a difficult tackle, but then he would reverse into the line. And yeah. I think that sort of stopped Melbourne going wide uh, as often and comfortably as they might have liked as well. Yeah, exactly right. Actually, I think that was a definite tactic. That the keeper was, was – all he was there to be was, was a bit of a, uh, a flash of light, you know, just someone coming at him. So he was hoping he was never have to make a tackle because he was hoping someone had uh, – dodged the other way because he'd come up so quick and on an angle. So I think it was uh, terrific coaching by um, by Munster. It would be great to hear Bellamy's uh, review of his own team because they were just, um, you know, they lacked intensity, they lacked punch, they, you know. they were, Well, they, 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 they shot themselves in the foot with a total of 15 errors as well, a couple of very yeah. soft, unforced drop balls. They, they went into touch a number of times. They found themselves, their, their wingers were being driven back 10 metres, you know, after contact, come bringing them on kick returns. There are a lot of things where it was a more powerful performance by the Roosters. And, and, the, and the, the Melbourne forwards just never got any traction. They never got over the advantage. Like Jesse mm. Bromwich only took eight runs and Cameron mm. Smith 
only had one run out of dummy half. Now, that's, that's not because Smith didn't want to. He had nothing to work off. Like if they talk about Damien Cook off the back of the Burgess brothers, well, Cameron Smith had nowhere to run. There was no opening for him to run into on the back of yeah. the momentum. Uh, and, you know, I will say, um, I think I think the Storm, just a little bit unlucky on a few occasions. Munster, the first sin bin, I oh. think, yeah, that was 50-50. I think oh, he was yeah. entitled to dive on um, dive on uh, Jake Friend. Friends and at the very least, no, tenderly sufficient, you know, yes, to actually go to the sin bin for that. The boat's yes. on the ground. You know, he was exactly. he was already on the ground. It wasn't, and he wasn't he, held. He wasn't no. held. You're entitled to assume that he's going to keep running rather yeah. than getting to his feet to play it. I agree with you 100. percent That was a a, a very severe uh, call. And mate, if you get if you want to get picky about decisions, and I, I do that all the time, um, the first penalty of the game, um, uh, which gave the, the Roosters uh, two points for supposedly. Uh, interference in the play to ball. By Chambers, to, I think it was. Yeah, if you ever get to see that again, the Roosters dropped the ball. There was no one, not, neither the marker or the bloke in the ruck had anything to do with it. So those things can build. Uh, I know Peter Sterling often says, you know, the first uh, penalty of the game is is uh, crucial in terms of just getting the upper hand. It gives you the Initial buffer, you've got two points on the board. If they score next, you're only 6-2 down. You score, you're eight, you're eight up or six up. So, anyway, look, all those are little things and they all add up over a while. I think they add up to the game being a lot closer than I think it's being portrayed now. I mean, I think we, 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 we know that the Roosters were the better team and there's, there's no doubt. And, and they think uh, with three tries to one and, and Melbourne only managed to get an intercept try. But they, they Melbourne went close on quite a lot of occasions, they got to within two two metres or so of the line. People like Chambers, for example, were getting close to the line, but the Roosters' defence kept stopping them. But for what it's worth, Melbourne won the second half 6-3. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, all the damage was done really in that first half. That that eighteen yeah. nil by half time was where it was was absolutely won and lost. And that's a big number uh, at twelve nil. Munster goes to the uh, sin bin, which allows it to come out where he would have been defending was the third try. So eighteen yep. nil is a is a big big lead. Uh, when the big boys are playing, they're not going to often uh, let you back there. So that. Um, that, that was the, the game was won in the first half. There's no doubt about it, and and there was some. Uh, well, we just said there was a couple of very close calls that uh, uh, brought about the outcomes. But look, I, I don't want to take it away from the Roosters. Uh, no, no, Melbourne, not at all. I, I thought Melbourne would have won it, but the Roosters were um, they were dominant. Absolutely. All right, David. Well, that just about wraps up the uh, club footy scene. Uh, we can look forward to some more rugby league action uh, in the uh, weeks ahead, though, as the Australian team takes on New Zealand and uh, Tonga. And it's, uh, there's a few new players in the Australian team. Just quickly on that, there's new, the new players coming in, Tedesco, Mitchell, Cook and Peachy. Uh, out of the team are uh, Smith, Slater and Cronk all have retired. Morgan, Gillett and Graham, uh, as in Wade Graham, all in. Injured. And uh, I guess the players who've been knocked out of the squad at this stage are uh, Dugan, Gagai and Chambers. But uh, good luck to the Kangaroos as they take on New Zealand and Tonga uh, during October. Yeah, won't that be interesting, Warren? Uh, I think this will be the first, well, the first uh, you know, full-blown game Australia-Tonga. They might have played them in uh, World Cup uh, early rounds before, but Tonga, you know, with a, a a terrific side to put on the park. So they're back-to-back great tests. New Zealand uh, one week, uh, I think October uh, 13, and then October 20, I think, is the uh, Tongan game. Uh, both in New Zealand, so should be some great footy. The big question is, uh, will Greg Inglis be there? Well, we'll wait and see. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Mm. Uh, that, that wraps it up. Thanks again to our uh, sponsors, Suzuki Queensland, East Leagues Club, Melbourne Storm and Triple Play Sportswear. I'm Warren Boland. Uh, David Rice being with us as well on this uh, Tiger TV podcast. David, I'll see you in 2019. Yeah, will do, Warren. It's been a pleasure, mate, uh, working with you again and great to uh, work on Tiger TV this year. Absolutely. Goodbye to everyone for now.